0: If you have a Bible, turn with me in the book of Exodus chapter 4, 2 through 4. I want to read three verses of Scripture for us today, and the title of the message is called, There and back again, a disciple's tale. There and back again, a disciple's tale. The Bible says in Exodus 4, 2 through 4, Then the Lord said to him, What is that in your hand? A staff, he replied. The Lord said, Throw it on the ground. Moses threw it on the ground and it became a snake and he ran from it. Then the Lord said to him, reach out your hand and take it by the tail. So Moses reached out and took a hold of the snake and it turned back into a staff in his hand. And it turned back into a staff in his hand. It turned back into a staff in his hand. This, said the Lord, is so that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob has appeared to you. Father, we thank you for your word today. Bless us as we come around your Bible. and We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. John Ronald Rule Tolkien wrote a book called The Hobbit. He then went on to write a trilogy called The Lord of the Rings. And in that book, our main protagonist's name is Bubo Baggins. His nephew Frodo then takes on that mantle, but Frodo remains throughout. During the book, Frodo writes a book, and the book is called There and Back Again, A Hobbit's Tale. The book that he writes in this, in this book, Bookception, in the story, Bilbo, he gathers friends, and they go on a journey, and they climb a mountain, and they defeat an enemy. And it sounds a little bit like we've just, what we've just done over the last month. Gathered friends, went on a journey, climbed a mountain, destroyed an enemy. They slay a dragon, they get the treasure, and they have an adventure of a lifetime. In a sense, haven't we done that exact same thing? He went there, but then he came home again. Hence the title of his book, There and Back Again A Hobbit's Tale. Today it's the back again, but then I want to talk with us about. We read a verse in Exodus 4 about God speaking to Moses. He instructs Moses to throw his staff on the ground and the staff turns into a snake and then it turns back again. This is not only for our introduction into Moses, but also it's an introduction to his staff. Moses' staff puts in cameo appearances throughout the narrative portions of the book of Exodus. We hear, about it just now at the burning bush where God turns it into a snake in an effort to cajole Moses into extricating Israel from Egypt. Upon his return, Moses then repeats the sign before the elders of the Lord, the elders of Israel, to verify the authenticity of his mission, that is from God. When Moses and Aaron then confront Pharaoh for the first time, the staff morphs into a serpent and devours the serpent of of the Egyptian magicians that they brought in to show off their skills in front of Pharaoh. One time in private at the burning bush, another time in front of the elders of Israel, and another time in public to defeat the enemy. Each time the serpent turned back into a staff. It's often a weird and overlooked but assumed part of the story. We, we spend a lot of time focusing on the supernatural change into a serpent, but don't spend very much time talking about the fact that that same serpent turned back into a staff. We spend a lot of time focusing on the fact that in the burning bush, it was a snake that Moses was afraid of. He's then to see a little bit more bold in front of the elders of Israel, and it happened again. And then in front of Pharaoh, it devoured the serpents of the, the Egyptian magicians. But we don't spend a lot of time talking about the fact that each time it turned back into a staff. It wasn't perpetually a serpent, was it? We don't hear about Moses and his serpent. We hear about Moses... And his staff, it was a lot more ordinary than it was extraordinary. It was a lot more times a rod or a staff than it was a serpent. The staff of Moses turned into a serpent, but then it turned back again. A serpent and then back again. Bilbo went on an adventure, but then he came back again. We went to camp, but then we came back again. We want to go on an adventure to meet with God. But then we must, my friends, come back again. We want to believe for the supernatural to see the snake, to see the change, to see the extraordinary and incredible and the miraculous happen in our lives. We pine for it. We want God. And these, my friends, understand this, are very noble things. And at camp, we've got it. And in our lives, we get it. We want the supernatural. This is a good thing. We want the supernatural. This is a great thing. This is an honorable thing. But can we then come back again? We want the move of God, but can we believe God to move in our normal? We want the supernatural, but can we handle the natural? The disciples who are the ones who embrace the natural, the ones that who embrace the staff, Are the ones who happily engage in the supernatural because they understand the life that they need to come back to. As we are encouraged to pursue the supernatural, let's also at the same time expect to return to reality. For many of us, it's already happened, hasn't it? The post camp effect exhausted, stoked, depleted. We walked into challenges, a car that's broken bills that were piling up, family dynamics, back to school. It was back to life as normal. Last week, we talked about altitude sickness, descend slowly, travel lightly, implement learnings, and set new goals. Today's thought is very simple. Friends, I want to encourage us today that while we pine for more of the supernatural, let's be sure to be content with the natural. While we pine for more of the supernatural, let's be sure to be content with the natural. To use our Hobbit illustration again, we went there, but can we come back again? We pined for the supernatural and we met with God, but can we come back and be content with our natural? No matter how high we go, we must come back down. We can be grateful, thankful, content, we must be with the things that we have. So what can we learn from Moses? And what can we learn from his staff, more specifically? This normal object this often overlooked, not a serpent full-time, but a staff most of the time. What can we learn from this great prophet of the Old Testament? In the saga of Israel's liberation from Egypt, the staff of Moses is much more than a prop. Though inanimate, unless of course it was a snake, it is nothing short of a lead character, It's an effective change agent in the face of determined resistance. It's a staff that we must talk about. So what can we learn from Moses and what can we learn more specifically from his staff? Well, if you're taking notes, let's talk about the staff for just one moment. The first thing I want you to write down is this. It was a walking stick. I mean, this is no breaking news for anybody, really, is it? Firstly, it's widely recognized as Moses' walking stick as he aged He used his staff to keep his balance. This is probably news to nobody. It was with him every day. It was the most familiar and ordinary thing that he had. And when God asked what's in your hand, of all the things that was in his hand, to climb the mountain, to find a lost sheep, he saw the burning bush, but still in his hand, he had his walking stick. And when God asked what's in your hand, Moses responded and said, a staff. And God today is asking us the exact same question. What's in your hand? And friends, answer that question for me. What is it that's in your hand? What's the most familiar thing that you have access to? What's the most ordinary, the most regular, what's the most simple thing that you have in your hand right now? The staff is nothing more than an ordinary shepherd's staff. It's the staff that Moses, whilst tending the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, bore in his hand. It was the one that he lifted alight at the burning bush. It could not have been more nondescript it could not have been more unexceptional. But that is precisely the point. The staff harbored no inherent potency in and of itself. And whatever's in your hand is nondescript and unexceptional and bears no inherent potency in in and of itself. Your home, my friend, bears no inherent potency in and of itself. But when used to host people, when used to feed the poor, when used to put the lonely into families, it becomes a supernatural weapon in the hand of God. At work, at work, it was solely God's will which chose to transform a crude artifact into an instrument of titanic power. God will use the most normal thing that you have to change the world if we make it available for Him. What's in your hand? Time, treasure, talent. As one of the great offering messages I've ever heard in my life from Mike, speaking about how we're quick to give God time, quick to give Him talent, but can we give Him treasure? If I could use an egalitarian approach for all three today and just say, you have time, you have treasure, a friend, you have talent. And some more than others. Some with a gift and a calling to minister to the Lord in different ways, but we all have all three. Your home, your vehicle, your mobile phone, that text, that email, that letter, that random act of kindness. God will use the normal thing that you have to build his church and bless people if we make it available. It was a walking stick. What's in your hand? A staff, he said. Nondescript normal and unexceptional. Sometimes our time can feel like that. Sometimes our treasure can feel like that. Sometimes our talent can feel just like that. But it was the staff that changed the world through Moses' obedience to put it in God's hands. Samson's jawbone, David's sling, Balaam's donkey, a doctor's scalpel, a nurse's gentle touch, a teacher's kind instruction, a father's affirmation, a coach's oversight, A federal worker's diligence, a student's focus, a neighbor's invitation, a friendly cup of coffee, all simple and nondescript, unexceptional things. But when put in the hand of God can be miraculous the world over. The normal thing that we offer God can be a game changer for another person. In Exodus 4 verse 20, the Torah refers to the staff as mate ha Elohim, Mate ha Elohim. When translated, this phrase simply means staff of God. Mateha Elohim, the staff of God. Beautiful. But it could also be translated, and it is in the Septuagint, as the staff from God. Just a minor variation in translations calls it the staff of God, translated now to the staff from God perhaps hinting at something of a divine origin of that staff a divine origin to a simple and regular thing. Understand that your time, your treasure, your talent, your encouragement, your random act of kindness is a gift of God for sure. But at the same time, we do believe that it is a gift from God. What's in your hand? What's in your hand? What do you have access to? What are you good at? What can we offer God like Moses' staff, that simple, nondescript weapon that changed the world? A walking stick. Number two, if you're taking notes, it was not just a walking stick. It was indeed a shepherd's crook. The rod and the staff, Psalm 23 talks to us about the fact that your rod and your staff, they comfort me. It was a rod and the staff that Moses had, those two words used interchangeably, certainly when it comes to Moses, not always in regards to every shepherd or every time we read those words, but the rod staff synonymous with Moses, that as we read about it, we realize that it was indeed the stick, the staff, the crook that he used to tend Jethro, his father-in-law's sheep. A rod is an instrument of authority used by shepherds for counting, guiding, rescuing and protecting their sheep. A staff is an instrument of support It's an instrument of authority for guiding. Moses was a shepherd for 40 years before coming back to Egypt. God called Moses to be the shepherd for God's people and he would bring out those people from Egypt by his hand. It was Moses' tool for looking after God's sheep. It was a walking stick, normal, with him every day. What's in your hand a staff, a walking stick. But it was also used to corral and protect and guide and shepherd a flock, which for us, if we can bring that same word picture into our lives, that that same tool for us should be our ability to not just hand over a simple walking stick to God that he might bless others, but that we would use our gift, our time, our treasure, our talent, our encouragement, a random act, a simple act of kindness to then look after God's sheep, a shepherd's crook, a simple tool in his hand with a clear purpose, the shepherding, of that which was in his care. If you're taking notes, write this down. God will bless you when you look after his sheep. God will bless you when you look after his sheep. John 21, we have this great moment, 15 through 19, when they'd finished eating, the Bible says, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He's like, of course hundred percent, like without a doubt. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Jesus said, um, do you love? He answered, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because he asked him a third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know, of all, you know all things and you know that I love you. Feed my sheep. Feed my lambs, take care of my sheep, feed my sheep. Three times, bold, italicized, underlined. Jesus is encouraging Peter, the most important thing you can do is look after my people. With well, the walking stick, we put it in his hand, it's miraculous, but a shepherd's crook shows us. I want to pursue the supernatural, but I want to be content with my natural. I want to pursue God and see miracles and believe for him to move in my life, but I want to believe that I can be a part of the process of God moving in my life every day as I go through natural rhythms. The walking stick shows me that he will use my normal for extraordinary things. But at the same time, that he will use my normal, my shepherd's crook, to do what for God we see in the scriptures is his number one priority. And that is to feed his sheep. Number three, if you're taking notes, what can we learn from Moses' staff? Number three, it budded. It budded. Because Aaron's rod and Moses' rod are both given similar, seemingly interchangeable powers, some rabbinical scholars have debated whether or not the two rods are actually the one and the same rod. We won't dive into whether we think that that's true or not, but we'll just do this today. We'll make a correlation between Moses' staff, his rod, and Aaron's rod and his staff because of their interchangeable powers. I may be taking a little bit of poetic license here But hear me out, it budded. Number 17 verse eight says this, Now it came to pass on the next day that Moses went into the tabernacle of witness and behold, the rod of Aaron of the house of Levi, the priestly house, had sprouted and put forth buds. It had produced blossoms and yielded ripe almonds. It was a walking stick. It was a shepherd's crook. And the rod and the staff, whether it be of the priest, the prophet Moses, or the priest Aaron, budded. It blossomed and yielded ripe almonds. If you're taking notes, write this down. God will bless the normal things that we put in His hands. One of the concerns we have is that as we put our skills, our time, our treasure, our talent, our things, our stuff, our life in God's hands, we start to micromanage and we start to think that maybe God, is not able or skilled enough to do the job that we think we're good at, which is to run our own lives. Look, when you got saved, you didn't get a lobotomy. You have a brain, you have wisdom, you have intelligence, you have experience, and God has given you everything that you need to live your life. But at the same time, Jesus, take the wheel. Guide me, Lord, speak to me, God. I want my life to be effective, I wanna please you, I wanna minister to the Lord. I want you intertwined. I want to be the 3 corded strand and I want you with my wife, the second, you to be that third strand in that cord. Third cord in that strand. Third strand in that cord. Three-stranded cord. You get what I'm saying. We want God. We desire God. But God will bless the normal things that I put in His hands. Aaron and Moses, they use the staff to guide. They use this prop to guide God's people out of slavery and into fulfillment and into the promises of God to lead them beyond for, for 400 years of being under the oppressive hands of their captors, to lead them out into a bright future and a brilliant new horizon. And that same tool, when put in the Ark of the Covenant and checked along with the other 12 rods of the 12 tribes of Israel, Moses looked and saw that that rod had buttered and bloomed, and sprouted, and yielded ripe almonds. That it's as though that dead stick was alive. It's amazing, isn't it? When we put something in God's hands, what will come alive in the places that were dead when we trust Him with our life? If there's one thing I noticed at camp, it was this. Many old dreams came alive again. If there's one thing I noticed at camp, it was this. New dreams were given, 100%. But many old dreams that had been given were taken off the shelf, dusted off, and made alive and fresh in people's hearts because God was breathing in that place. God will bless the normal things that we put in his hands. If you're taking notes, number four today is this. He struck the rock. Right at the end of Exodus, we see, we see Moses. He's used the rock. It's gone into a snake, the supernatural, and then it's turned back again into a staff. We've got to be people that pine for the supernatural but don't mind the natural. It's the back again, friends, that we need to get used to because we spend more time as a staff than we do as a serpent. And so Moses is at the end of Exodus and he'd, he'd, um, he'd spoken to God about the fact that they ran out of water and they're in the desert and God's like, yeah, strike the rock. And so he strikes the rock. Bang, water comes out. Then right at the end, I think in Numbers, they have this exact same experience again. And and then, and then the Lord says Yahweh speaks to Moses and says speak to the rock and Moses is nervous now because remember in, at, at, in Exodus 4 um, God speaks to Moses He's says go and speak to Pharaoh he says I can't even talk and he's like I am that I am tell them I am sent then, you then this whole process starts so we knew that he was a stutterer right? he was nervous about speaking that's why Aaron comes into the picture as he was someone who would communicate on behalf of Moses look I don't, I don't mind that I mean like Death is the second most feared thing from humanity. Number one is public speaking. So Moses is in the majority here. He gets to the point where he uses his staff, what he knows, what's been with him, to strike the rock. Bang, water comes out. Whole nation was thirsty. Satisfied now. Same scenario again. God says, speak to the rock. So God has been looking for a journey of maturity from Moses. You see, he, he gave Moses miracles, but then now expects maturity. And so rather than speaking to the rock, maybe because of his nervousness, because it's one of his Achilles heels, he then strikes the rock. Nothing happens. The Bible says he strikes the rock again and then water comes out. But that moment of disobedience on the journey of maturity, Christ-likeness, discipleship, spiritual formation in his life Was not met with favor from God, although God is gracious enough to feed his people. God wanted maturity. God will give miracles one day, but expect maturity the next. Understand that God is looking for from us maturity. Your sins are forgiven. Now go and sin no more, Jesus says to people. Your sins are forgiven. Now go and sin no more. You've sinned. Now your sins are forgiven. That's a miracle but now go and sin no more. Maturity. The miracle has taken place. We have been forgiven. We have been redeemed. We have God's grace and abundance. But now we have to act, grow, learn, and mature. Friends, I'm starting this message by saying that the serpent represents the supernatural, but we've got to understand like Bilbo Baggins that we must come back again. Can you live and be content and be thankful for being a staff? But understand this, that as thankful as we are for being a staff, it can't become a crutch. That whilst it's a walking stick and a shepherd's crook, whilst it's something that in our lives is going to bring significant health and change and miracles, it budded. It can't become a crutch like it was for Moses. And so when God expected maturity, Moses was still looking for miracles. But wouldn't the greatest miracle have been God using his maturity to bring out that water from the rock? Friends, as we look to the Lord and believe for the supernatural, as we look to the Lord and believe for miracles, as we believe for life chains, as we believe for Him to move in our midst on a regular basis, as we gather every week and believe for Him to touch our lives, let us learn a lesson from Moses and his staff. God was gracious enough to bring out water from the rock when He struck it twice, but we've got to be people that don't just rely on God for His miraculous touch but believe that his work in us can develop in us maturity. That maybe like his staff, we might yield almonds, that we might bloom, that we might bud. Because aren't we the vine in John 15? Isn't he the vine that we must remain in, that he prunes for fruitfulness? Doesn't he wanna bring about the fruit of the Holy Spirit and bud in our lives as we stay connected to him? Miracles partnered with maturity. Is a walk with God that I want to be a part of. And maybe you're here today and you're saying, Levi, that's great. That's all good. Spiritual maturity sounds excellent, but right now I'm not really at that stage. I'm new to this whole journey. Came today, checking it out online. Don't really know what to expect. But Levi, it sounds like relationship with Jesus and walk with God is something that I could look forward to. So friend, if that's you, I want to pray a very simple prayer with you today. Believe that your whole life could be changed through a faithful prayer to our God. And friends, if that's you and you're here, you're saying, I need to pray that prayer to get my life right with God and pray this prayer with me. It goes like this. Dear Lord Jesus, I come to you. I thank you for your presence in my life. I ask you, forgive me of my sin and I thank you that you do. I thank you, Jesus. I thank you, Jesus. Amen. Love you so much. I'll be back next week with the third part of this three-part trilogy called The Return of the King. It's not called that. I don't actually know what it's called, but it's going to be great. See you then.